folklore, the beliefs, traditions and culture of the people. Passed on in the most part through the spoken word, folklore expresses our values, our shared ideas with others. It is both how we were and how we are. Without a record, our customs and traditions may become lost to us in the present, but under the surface, we still draw on them. We still know. It's time to recall our forgotten history and to record the new. This is the Folklore Podcast. Welcome to the very first edition of the Folklore Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Norman. I'm a folklore researcher and writer, and I'll be guiding you through the fascinating world of traditional folklore and custom. But I will not be doing that job alone. And that is the exciting part. I'm a committee member of the Folklore Society, the oldest academic society for the study of folklore and also a committee member of the Friends of the Museum of Witchcraft and Magic. I write for a number of publications and websites, and speak at a lot of conferences, both large and small. Through all of this, I connect with a number of fascinating and highly respected figures in the field of folklore, and many of them will be appearing as guests on this show. So, as well as some great stories, this show is going to give you, the listeners, free access to many of the world's most respected folklorists and researchers, telling you about their work. And all of that's free. You will never be charged a subscription for this show. There are a number of really exciting guest talks already lined up over the coming weeks and months, with more being added right now as well as my own research. I'm thrilled to be able to offer this opportunity to share the fascinating but often overlooked subject of folklore with all of you. And I have a great guest with which to open this new show. When people think of folklore, the first thing that often comes to mind is of stories or traditions that are timeless. Folklore harks back to our ancestors. It reminds us of times gone by, of how things used to be. Folklore, by definition, isn't modern, is it? Yes, of course it can be. But, admittedly, it is a rare event to be present at the birth of a figure which enters into folklore very quickly. A figure that is created, but suddenly becomes a meme, entering so quickly into people's imaginations and subconscious minds that before you know it, that figure is already being discussed as if it had origins going back hundreds of years. And people begin disputing the fact that it was recently created at all. Further people begin to report seeing that figure in their modern lives, in the same way that people might report seeing a ghost or a UFO. But that rare event happened very recently, and that figure became known as Slender Man. The Slender Man appears as a man in a dark suit, 
Think the typical description of the government man in black that is said to appear after a UFO event. He's tall and has very long arms and legs, which naturally give him his name. Reports also state that the Slender Man has a number of tentacles that emerge from his back. He can stretch his limbs and his body to incredible lengths, it is said, in order to capture his victim. Those victims, more often than not, are said to be children, whom he kidnaps. My guest on this first programme, to talk about her work on the Slender Man phenomena, is Dr Andrea Kitter an associate professor and folklorist at East Carolina University. Andrea is co-editor of the journal Contemporary Legend, specialises in medicine, belief and the supernatural, and is currently completing a book, The Kiss of Death, for Utah State University Press. Andrea, Slenderman is a relatively new phenomenon which has entered into folklore only over a very short period of time. Can you tell us a little about the origins of the figure? So Slenderman began in 2009 as a response to a forum post to create something creepy. Uh, the first person who came up with it was the uh, used the username uh, Victor Surge. Um, we now know that that's Eric Knudsen. Um, so we know that he first actually created Slenderman, and there were two original images that are pretty easy to find on the internet if you would like to see them. Um, and they had some text going with them that that just very generally spoke to um, hinted at something about this creature. Um, so our, our first impression of Slenderman is that he is sort of tall and thin. Um, he does not have a face. He is wearing a suit. Um, and he's frequently found around children. So that um, kind of sums him up from the very beginning. This, of course, um, became very, very popular. Um, a lot of people started writing fan fiction, creating videos, um, types of art, um, all kinds of things all over the Internet that were just uh, really fascinating and amazing. Um, and it's been really interesting to kind of watch how this has evolved over time. Um, so since that creation in 2009, we've seen so many different things. Um, there are video series, as I mentioned, Marble Hornets probably being the most well-known of those. Um, a lot of fan fiction, including slash fiction, um, just so much stuff out there on the internet, um, including, the, you know, how to create your own Slenderman costume or find out if you have Slender Sickness or, um, you know, sort of all of these sort of personal experience accounts on it. Um, and this has kind of been the interesting part, especially as folklorists, is we very rarely get to see something from the very beginning. Um, and that's what we've got to see with Slenderman. We've got to see how it's been created, how stories about it have changed, um, and how people have, have sort of engaged in this communal recreation that we know is is common and has been common um, throughout history. So, and we get to actually kind of see it in action from its very beginning. Um, and that's it's incredibly uncommon um, to, to see something evolve like this. Um, and it's been really fascinating to see, too, that the, the intersection between folklore and popular culture, because, of course, there always is, um, and they're constantly borrowing from each other. So we've seen a lot of that as well. So we see even um, in TV shows and movies um, that Slenderman or Slenderman-like characters, since Slenderman is actually copyrighted, um, ends up doing um, or being a part of these, these storylines. Um, of course, the probably the most well-known thing and what really kind of brought Slenderman sort of off of the internet and out, outside of these communities and into a more public community, uh, of course, was the Slenderman stabbings in 2014. Um, this is, of course, many people have probably already heard of this, but uh, this is where two young girls in Wisconsin stabbed a third girl, um, nearly killing her. She actually did survive. Um, and they said that they had done it to gain Slenderman's favor. 
Um, so that was uh, that was a pretty unusual thing to happen. Um, and of course, after that, there were a couple of other incidences where um, other people were involved in the one case, it was a house fire, another case, it was a, an attempted stabbing. Um, so there were some sort of, I don't I hate to use the term copycat, but um, to some extent, um, we, we see is pretty common with ostention when people act out urban legends, um, that that there are um, additional ones. And of course, people were acting out this, this legend um, over and over again without violence. Um, people were doing cosplay. Um, people were writing this stuff. They're making these videos. And all of that was, was you know, didn't have any violence associated really at all. Um, it was just this one incident that really brought all of this to light. Um, if it wasn't for that, you know, there probably would be a lot of people who had never heard of Slenderman. Reports of incidents where people claim to have actually witnessed Slenderman have continued to be recorded. What was the public reaction to the Slenderman incidents? So when something happens like this, especially when it's something violent um, and it ends up being in the news um, and in the media, what tends to happen is we we see that there's this sort of overwhelming reaction to, um, you know, it, it takes a lot of forms. It's the, the kids these days reaction. It's the... Um, the internet is bad or, you know, in the past it's been video games are bad or um, music is bad. Um, we've seen this over and over again, especially when some when some big incident like this happens. Um, Bill Ellis has done a lot of work on this in particular um, with the satanic panic in the 80s. So people react and think that um, it is the, the fault of um, the internet in this case, which of course is is ridiculous. It's not the internet's fault. The internet is is a wonderful tool, and it's all in how we use it. Um, so in this case, it's unfortunate that this has happened. Um, it's it's very sad. But if it wouldn't have been Slenderman, it would have been probably something else. Um, it's very easy in these cases to blame something very general, like the internet or Slenderman or fan fiction or whatever people want to blame these cases. Um, the harder part is to actually look at what's actually happening. Um, and I, I hate to be one of those people, too. I don't like how, um, especially in the media in the United States, we tend to just blame things on um, very general things like parenting or uh, mental illness is another pretty common one. Uh, I think that's that's a cop out as well. Um, I think that we really have to look at, at deeper social issues, what's actually happening. Um, and I, I actually believe that... Um, Slenderman, in a lot of ways, is a way to talk about um, microaggression, especially um, in the case of bullying and cyberbullying. Um, I'm really seeing a lot of connection um, between Slenderman and, and bullying, um, especially bullying narratives, um, especially bullying fan fiction. Um, and a lot of this bullying fan fiction is, is really fascinating um, because it is violent um, and it is, it is a little over the top in a lot of ways. Um, but I think in a lot of ways, writing these things uh, actually helps people process um, this type of bullying and cyberbullying, especially cyberbullying. In a lot of ways, um, you know, I guess pun intended, um, Slenderman is the face of uh, cyberbullying for a lot of people um, because he is, uh, in a lot of ways, just like how the way, you know, the way cyberbullying functions, where there is really no break from it. Um, because in the past, I think people forget this a lot, especially when we talk about bullying in a very generic sense, that, um, you know, it used to be that you would just go home and you could get away from your bully. But that doesn't happen anymore with cyberbullying. Um, with cyberbullying, it, it's, it's everywhere all at once, um, in a lot of ways, just like Slenderman. So he's kind of everywhere at all at once. It's faceless, just like Slenderman. It's 
Um, it's constant. You never know when it's going to come up. Um, so I think there's a lot of parallels there. And I think that's why it's being used as a sort of metaphor in a lot of ways. Um, also, in a lot of this, um, the fan fiction and, and the discussions online, um, Slenderman actually is a protector um, against bullies. Um, and he actually conducts a lot of the violence on the bullies um, instead of the person being bullied. So it almost gives them a, a sort of um, sort of escapist fantasy, I guess, a way of punishing their bullies, but at the same time also knowing that it's wrong. Um, and that's a big thing with a lot of this, this stuff out there. Like some people really get caught up in how violent it is, but in all actuality, it's actually a way of channeling this violence. Um, and, and in all of these cases, it's never the person being bullied that does it, it's Slenderman that does it. Um, so he's not actually, you know, the, the, the person being bullied is not um, involved in the bullying. It's, it's, it's something that is externalized. Um, they understand that it's wrong. And in a lot of cases, when you read these narratives online, you see that the, the person being bullied is actually um, saying, like, don't do this to Slenderman, but he proceeds to do it anyway. So that's been kind of an interesting part in that, that intersection. Now, the term ostension is an important one in folklore discussions, but it's not known to everyone as it has a tendency to be used in academic discussion papers and the like more than it is in popular pieces. Can you perhaps explain what ostension is? Ostension is when people act out urban legends. Um, and there's a lot of different types of ostension. Um, we have everything from the, the literal acting out of an urban legend um, to just referencing it in a lot of different ways. Sometimes what's, um, what's known as pseudo and quasi-ostension. Um, these are really interesting things because we do it all the time. Um, anyone who's been legend tripping knows all about this. If you've ever gone to a haunted site um, or if you've ever even gone on a haunted tour, you're, you're engaging in a type of legend tripping, a type of ostension. Um, so it's something that we do all the time. It's pretty common. Um, in this case, um, uh, Jeff Tolbert has actually referred to Slenderman as a type of reverse ostension so that we, um, instead of having the experience and creating the stories, we're, we're sort of creating experience. Um, so it's it's interesting to see kind of how Slenderman works. Um, it's a, it's a very different uh, type of storytelling because the narrative is being constantly created and recreated, which is pretty typical. Um, but normally we start with uh, start it a little bit differently. Um, it usually starts as experience um, or you know perceived experience, and then the stories kind of develop from there. That's not exactly what's happening here. Um, we started with these photoshops um, that we started with two pictures, which is, is a very different way of starting. Um, and then the story kind of grew out from there. So it's been really fascinating to watch. Um, in a lot of ways, this was a game for people. It's like, hey, let's create something scary on the internet and see what happens. Um, I don't think anybody um, anticipated that this was going to be the outcome, um, at least not so far. So it's been, uh, it's been really interesting to watch how this works. Uh, I think the original creators, I think the original people who engaged in this um, thought of it as fun. It was play. You know, it's just something fun to do. Like, let's, in, in a, some case, too, it might have even been a, hey, let's mess with people, make it look real. Um, the thing is, um, is that people who don't know the entire history, um, who have no idea what's kind of happening, that this was invented, um, are, the, their level of belief is very different. Um, so that's been, fascinating to look at. Um, I've been particularly interested in this. Um, the level of belief that especially um, preteens and teens um, have in Slenderman um, has been really fascinating. Um, we see a lot of, um, a lot of the, the stories that I have heard and a lot of times I've been talking to people 
um, especially children, um, they see him as, as a sort of um, boogeyman-like character, um, except he's in the woods. Um, and that was actually how um, one of the people I, I talked to, she was, she was a young girl. She, um, she explained it to me as he's like the boogeyman, except he lives in, his, in the woods, but he can also be in your closet. Um, so it's really interesting that he's, he's taken this, um, this very, you know, a very traditional sort of character uh, and become that for especially a lot of kids. So the image of the Slender Man is entering into folklore on an international level. When you look at symbolic representations, or motifs, which is a term used a lot with folkloric images, then you really need to ask what the meaning of those images is. Every image is imbued with meaning, and this can be different to different cultures. And it's how symbols and motifs are interpreted that make them meaningful to people across those cultures. What's the meaning of Slender Man? So a lot of people frequently ask, like, what does Slenderman represent or what does he mean? Um, and again, Jeff Tolbert kind of referred to Slenderman as a flexible rhetorical tool, which I, I think he absolutely is. He can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, like I said, some people he's he's just he's fun. Um, he's something to play with. He's something to, to have a good time with. Um, for other people, he's very real and he's scary. Um, so it really kind of depends on what you want him to represent. Uh, I think for some people, he represents kind of everything that's scary about the internet, um, the, the faceless, namelessness of it all. Um, and some other ways he represents um, a sort of uh, capitalist, consumerist society. Um, he is a faceless man in a suit. Um, he you know, represents large corporations um, or things like the NSA in the United States. So I think there, there's that sort of notion of surveillance, too, um, in part in Slenderman, because what he primarily does is watch. Um, in a lot of cases, we don't have any specific things about what Slenderman does. He just watches. Um, there are some narratives that get into that he, you know, takes children away or he does these other things. But primarily, his character just watches us. Um, and that's very fascinating to think about, too. Are there any other traditions in popular culture that you can think of which are similar to Slenderman? Slenderman himself is not a, a direct relation to any tradition. Um, he is as what we refer to as the folkloresque, so things that look like folklore but that aren't exactly folklore. Um, and in, in particular, um, he, he looks a lot like uh, Michael Dillon Foster's notion of fuzzy illusion. Um, so it, it's nothing that's directly represented um, in folklore or even in, in culture, but looks like um, there's a lot of allusion to um, him being a, a supernatural um, type creature. So what we see is this creature that, that sort of taps into other things that we understand um, that we have already in our culture, but there's no direct relation. Um, so in a lot of ways, Slenderman looks a lot like things that we're already familiar with. Um, so he has this, this sort of look almost uh, and some people have compared him to uh, jack skellington from the uh, nightmare before christmas he has that sort of long tall skinny look um he is faceless um he actually ties into a lot of other creepypasta type characters um so there are, is a lot of uh, relationship there um in a lot of ways he acts a lot like um, what we think of traditional men in black characters so the men in black tradition being these people that would would show up typically around um, the time of of um, a sighting of aliens or, or a sighting of a spaceship um, and would look sort of unnatural in a lot of ways. But a lot of times they would be very pale. They would be dressed in, in black 
um, in suits, just like Slenderman. Um, but they would would come by and and say to people, um, you know, they collect evidence. They tell people that they didn't see anything. Um, so a, a bit different than uh, our sort of modern day concept, thanks to movies, of what Men in Black are. Um, but there's definitely a connection there. Um, there's also this sort of connection to um, other supernatural creatures that um, that just watch and and are present. That they don't necessarily interact. Um, and I think in particular the Mothman um, and Thunderbird traditions. Um, where they're they're sort of there to indicate that something is going to happen, but not to actually make it happen or or do anything in that sort of case. So because Slenderman looks like folklore and acts like folklore, um, he seems like he's part of this bigger tradition. So then when you see this um, online, especially, and then it's coupled with um, photoshops, it's coupled with wood carvings, um, with all these things that look like they've been around for a long time and like this is part of this older, longer standing tradition. Well, it becomes really complicated and interesting. Um, it makes it harder to to say if it's real or not. Um, and that's why, especially people who come a little bit later to this, people who are, are younger, um, don't necessarily see the entire trajectory of this tradition. Um, so they're they're confused. Is it real or is it not real? Is it part of an older tradition or is it not? Um, and this is, of course, exactly the way folklore looks. I mean, everything had to have some sort of beginning. So um, watching this, how it changes and develops, um, has been just just absolutely fascinating. I know I've said that a lot of times. That it is a fascinating thing to watch um, a story unfold like this and change and become something else. Um, without the stabbings, I mean, it, it might not have been anything at all. It might be just this thing on the Internet that people got bored with after a while, and that would be the end of it. Um, but because of this, it isn't. Um, people are looking on the internet. They're trying to see these things, um, see if they're they're real or not. Um, and the information they're finding is is pretty conflicting in a lot of ways because they are seeing these these older pictures. They're seeing um, photographic evidence, what to them looks real, um, and it's you know it's hard to tell for them if it's real or not. Um, and then in addition, we're starting to get personal experience narratives. Um, so we're starting to get people who have claimed that they have seen Slenderman. Um, it's really just fascinating to see. Um, we've seen incidences where we have people just online talking about this. Um, we have uh, the Kenick Chase uh, situation where several people there said they saw Slenderman. Um, I even had um, multiple people tell me that they thought they saw Slenderman, um, especially one in particular was in a case of a, a bullying situation. He thought he saw him in the backyard. Um, so that is really interesting that that we keep seeing um, these experiences start to pop up. And in some ways, I, I do think um, that this is tapping into a different type of experience. So I think Slenderman has become a way of talking about things that maybe were untellable up to this point. Um, and as I mentioned previously, I think this is a way of talking about bullying and cyberbullying that maybe we haven't been able to talk about in the past. Um, and I also feel like it, it does talk, like speak to this this notion of being watched um, and that this is a type of experience that we're all for, pretty familiar with. Um, and now we just sort of have a, a, a way of discussing it in a way that, you know, is a little bit different. Um, it's a way that we can talk about it. Maybe it's something that wasn't able to be talked about before. Like I said, something that was untellable. Andrea. This has been a fascinating introduction to the symbol of Slenderman and its entrance into the folklore record. Thank you very much for sharing your work with everyone today. If people are interested in finding out more about Slenderman, where should they look?
Um, so if you're interested in more information on this, um, the journal Contemporary Legend is actually going to have a special issue. It'll be out um, next couple of weeks on Slenderman. Um, so we have uh, four articles on Slenderman. I have one in there myself about Slenderman and belief. Um, and then we actually have a bunch of responses. Um, so we have a lot of experts um, on um, children's folklore, on the internet, on a lot of different things um, that are actually responding um, both to Slenderman incidences, but also to the articles themselves. So it's a really fascinating um, special issue of this journal. Um, we also, um, I have a book coming out uh, eventually. I think it'll be probably in sometime in 2017. Um, it's going to be called The Kiss of Death, and it's about contamination and contagion in folklore. And I have an entire chapter in there on Slenderman, um, and especially with um, violence, bullying, cyberbullying, and suicide contagion. Um, so it's uh, it's pretty fascinating, I hope. I hope everyone else will like it as much as I do. I've really enjoyed writing it, so hopefully people will enjoy reading it. Um, and of course, too, there's there's other things that have been written on Slenderman. I mentioned Jeff Tolbert's work. Um, Andrew Peck also has written um, on Slenderman. Um, they both also have articles in the special issue of Contemporary Legend, but they've done ones previously on Slenderman as well. Um, so there are a lot of folklorists out there doing some really, really interesting work with this. So hopefully uh, people will look into that and they'll read up on it and they'll learn a little bit more about it. Thank you for joining me, Mark Norman, and Dr. Andrea Kitter for the first Folklore Podcast. If you want to find out more about Andrea and her work, please visit the episode guide for this podcast on our website at www.thefolklorepodcast.com. Please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast to ensure that you don't miss an episode in the future. In the next edition, I will be examining some aspects of ghost folklore, specifically phantom coaches and cockstride ghosts. The Folklore Podcast is, and will remain, a completely free podcast which aims to give you access to some of the world's finest folklore researchers and writers. People whose work you would often have to pay to explore in many ways. I am grateful for the generous support of a number of people in getting this first podcast and the accompanying website to air. Design and branding of the Folklore Podcast is produced by Melissa Martell at MDM Creative, Vancouver Island, Canada. Visit her website at www mdmcreate.com Audio production facilities were provided courtesy of Circle of Spears Productions UK producers of both audiobooks and live events Explore the website and listen to their work at www.circleofspears.com The Folklore Podcast theme music is composed and performed by Gurdy Bird Listen to her music and find out more at www.gurdybird.co.uk or across all social media platforms. Please visit the Partners page of the website at www.thefolklorepodcast.com for more details on our supporters. Visit their websites and social media and give them a like. It is support from people such as this that will enable the Folklore Podcast to continue to provide great guests from the world of folklore absolutely free. Thanks for joining me. See you next time.